Welcome to the I Love Music Podcast. My name is Jen Fedor. I started the I Love Music Podcast to inspire people who love music, encourage people who work within the industry, and to hear each person's unique story. For this episode, I got to interview Ryan Beisel, who's the VP of A&R at Warner Chapel Music. Ryan works with artists and writers such as Lady Antebellum, Dustin Lynch, and Rhett Atkins. We have such a great conversation about his journey and how he started working in country music. If you want to know more about the publishing world, songwriting, and the business side of music, this interview is for you. We cover so many different aspects of the industry. It was such a great time catching up with Ryan. Let's get into his episode. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's a pleasure to be here. We are in Nashville right now at the Warner offices. How did you get into music? Yeah, I've, I've loved music uh, for, a, for as long as I can remember, but I, I know for sure the first song that I can remember as a kid, I think I was three or four years old, was my mom was cleaning the house and listening to Anne Murray. And there's a song called uh, Danny's Song. And I can still remember her listening to that and playing it while she was cleaning. And that was like my first memory of music. But I don't really recall from like three or four until, you know, first or second grade that I actually paid attention more to music. Uh, I'm trying to even think right now, like what what was uh, 104.5? Was that the oh, was that was that our the station right? Like the pop station back yeah, then. Yeah, it was the pop station. Yeah, yeah I remember they, listening. Yeah. They had like the countdown and yeah. all that stuff. So I remember listening to 104.5, and that was back when uh, you know there were still cassettes, and you could yeah. you could record on your your stereo boombox that I would record like the top five. Uh, I just yeah. my mom made me think of that. I just actually kind of remembered that like 104.5. But around fourth grade, it was when I really, uh, when I found country music. And I had a friend that lived down the street, and him and his family listened to the 90s country. Well, at the time, it wasn't the 90s. Listened to country music. You know, Brooks and Dunn and Garth Brooks, Clint Black, Alan Jackson, Tim McGraw. And, and I was just, I loved it. I loved the storytelling aspect of it. And my parents weren't really into country music at the time. I think they just always had it like on the oldies station. Which was 107.3. All this shit's coming oh, back. Oh, yeah. Right oh, my gosh. I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, me and Ryan, we grew up together in Michigan in, in high school. So. We did. Yeah. Spartans. <laughs> Sparta. Sparta Spartans. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where, as far as the origin of me listening to music, I, I think it yeah. started that young. And then I was really into sports, and music sort of facilitated some of that, you know, but like when I'd. In playing basketball, it seemed like I was always listening to rap music. Football would be more, you know, rock or some metal, and, and just trying to get amped up for games. So it was, it was always sort of this backdrop of my life. Never, to be honest, I never thought about it as being something that I would eventually get into for a, as a profession. But I've always loved it, and it's it's sort of. You think about when you were dating somebody in high school and you had your song, you know, and yeah. you, like just music has been such a powerful force really you know, throughout my life. And it's, uh, it's certainly cool that I get to work in it now as well. Yeah. So you, you went to college then at Hope and studied uh, business and finance? Yeah, I studied finance and economics which Hope was an amazing liberal arts education. So I didn't have to, you know, if you went to a public school and you really, if you're going to go into finance, you would have taken a majority of your coursework would have been in finance, obviously. At Hope, they make you take 
it's kind of like going to high school extended because you're still taking every liberal arts kind of class. You're still taking history and music lessons. And, uh, and I was so grateful for that because it, it really forced me to think about just what I enjoyed, what I like to learn about, what I was fascinated by. And I was taking an English class. I think it was my sophomore year at Hope. I just thought, well, I'll be an accountant because accounting coursework came easy to me and I knew I wanted to be in the business world. But I didn't really know what that meant. Two pivotal things happened just in my life at that point. I was 19 years old and my parents got divorced and I had an uncle who was really young. He was about 33 years old and he passed away from cancer. And it was the first time in my life that I really saw sort of how fragile life can be. Uh, my parents had me at a really young age, and so I had, uh, at that point in time, had all my grandparents, still had great grandparents. And it was like my first introduction to how uh, fleeting life can be. And there's no guarantees, whether that be in relationships or certainly with your health. And I, I paused to think like, okay, if you get, if we're only here for one shot at this, and people wake up every day and have to go to work, what do I want to do with that? And what, what brings me joy? What, what is inspiring to me? And I was at an age where there were just you know, unlimited possibilities of what you could go do. And I understand everybody's circumstances are different and not everyone can just go try to pursue something they you know, find joy in because they have kids and responsibilities and, and, and I totally uh, respect and understand that. But that's not where I was at 19. And I was taking an English class where the professor, her, it seemed like her angle at the class was really to get you to think about this, like this expansive world that's out there and to find your uniqueness within it. And she had us read a chapter called The Calling of Voices in a book uh, titled The Hungering Dark by Frederick Buechner. He's sort of like an obscure Christian author and in that chapter, he talked a lot about how many people listen to the wrong voice of our culture that, you know, pushes, pushes you to get into the rat race and not to do things for joy but, but yeah. for money and uh, just can get up caught in sort of the wrong reason for why we do what we do vocationally. And I'll never forget this day. It's like one of the defining days of my life at this point. But I, I was in the... I was in the basement of the chapel, which is where they had the English class, and I left. It was a beautiful fall day in, on, on Hope's campus, and the leaves were like this rustic red and orange, and there's still, I can still smell like what the air was like. And I walked from the, the bottom of the chapel back to my dorm room, and I just felt like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to work in country music. And I had no idea what that like, proclamation meant. And I, hadn't, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what the jobs were, but I just felt like that's what I'm gonna do. I love country music. I've loved country music since I was a kid. I'm gonna figure out how to work in country music. And I went back to my dorm and I just went to whitepages.com, which is, it, that gets funnier that, to me. Yeah. Like as I get, like, as we get older, because yeah. you know, now <laughs> in, in the work environment, you know, I'll work with 22 year olds and they're like, what are white pages? Like they have no idea what the white, page, white pages are, let alone like 
you know, whitepages.com, which yes. is something that like our, maybe our parents or grandparents would be like, what, you can go to the white pages online? Like, like how, does, how does that work? I think last week I, like there were a bunch of telephone books outside of my apartment and I was like, wait, what? They're still delivering? Yeah, like, like who uses I these was, things? Like, yes, I was just like, huh? <laughs> I love when I get the telephone books now because it's always uh, fire starters for me. So I, I kind of yeah. save them and put them from uh, nice. fires outside, nice. which is great. <laughs> but I went back to my dorm and I, I typed in uh, on the whitepages.com music row, which is for, for those outside of Nashville or the country music business. Music row is, is really just two streets lined with various houses that are offices and buildings that have music companies within them and it's a pretty historic you know spot for where country music happens and I just started cold calling every single company on it and uh, every everyone sounded really southern when they answered the phone and people say I have a southern accent now but I assure you that this was way more southern when they were you know thank you for calling Sony Nashville well I'm yeah, gonna direct your call yeah, yeah. And, and I just the, the, when I called this company ASCAP the woman who answered didn't have an accent, and I just made a, a comment about that. It's like, oh, you don't have a southern accent, and she's like, well, that's because I'm from Michigan. <laughs> and I just started laughing. I said, I'm, I'm, from, I'm calling from Michigan. I'm from Michigan, and her name was Gerilyn Pierce, and she graduated from Ferris State, and they have a music business program at Ferris State, which I didn't realize when we were when I was deciding on college that you could even get a degree in like music business. I had never. Yeah considered or heard of something like that but I told her you know I was at Hope College I was looking to intern and just trying to get experience and, and make contacts and build a network and she introduced me to a guy named Jesse Frazier who was a publisher at a small company named Major Bob and Major Bob was a is a publishing company owned by Garth Brooks manager okay and Jesse is from Michigan and he happened to go to Michigan State and so here was all this Michigan connection going on, and I called Jesse, and he, he said, man, can you come down? And so I came down, and uh, I interviewed with him, and he was like, yeah, man, you're cool. Come, come intern for me uh, next summer. And this was right after my sophomore year of, of college, okay. yeah, I hope. And so when I went back after, uh, you know, had the interview, I went back to Grand Rapids, and I was telling one of my uncles about it, and he it's like, man, I cannot believe I didn't think about this till now, but one of my best friends from high school, and, and he had went to Grand Rapids Catholic Central, he's in the music business, and you guys kind of remind me of each other, and you, you should call him. Before you accept that, you should yeah. call him. Yeah, yeah. And his name is Joe Fisher, and Joe is one of my, to this day, one of my best friends and has been a, a great mentor to me in the music business. But I called Joe, explained my situation and I really was a student of country music like I would pull out you know it's we don't see them as much anymore now that we you know, have digital streaming yeah. and stuff but I would pull out the liner notes and see who all the writers were and who the were, who produced it and who the engineers were I was just like fascinated by all the moving components that went into recorded music and so he was, I think he was taken back by all the writers I knew because I'd never really been to Nashville and I just would study these people. And he was the one that said, hey, nothing against Major Bob. They're great, but it's a smaller yeah. company. Mm -hmm. I think you'd meet more people if you come and intern with me. I said, okay, that, 
I love the sound of that. The only other thing I need to run by you is I really want him to study abroad. And when I mentioned studying abroad to Jesse, he said, man, I don't know. It's going to be really hard for you to get a job in this industry all the way from Michigan. Yeah. You're going to need to be here and as present and intern as much as you can if you want a job. And, and that's inherently good advice. Like, I don't, yeah. Even now, having been in for 13 years, I don't. That's that is good advice, but I still <laughs> was like, but I want to go to Australia, you know. And so I mentioned it to Joe, and he was like, man, fuck that. You could go, uh, you could intern every semester, and never get a job. You could never intern and get a job. Yeah. You're better go to Australia and call me in a year. And that's all he had to say to me. I was like, okay. all right, perfect. And <laughs> that's what I wanted to yeah, <laughs> the timing, The timing was probably better for me as well because, cool. you know, I, I still would have had two more years of school oh, left. Yeah. And I'm like, well, if I go now, I can right. intern right before I'm about to graduate. And that seemed like it would be better timing. So that's what I did. I, I went to Australia, came back, and called Joe. And he said, yeah, man, come on. And I remember I, I was doing internships at banks, and I was having to wear a suit. And I was like, hey, what's the... Uh, What's the dress code like? <laughs> like? Am I supposed to wear a tie? And he laughed yeah, and yeah. he was like, oh, man, I'll tell you what the first person who I interned for told me. It's not a beauty pageant. <laughs> and so, the, you know, it's nice for those of you that don't know people in the music business, you just literally wear jeans and t-shirts pretty much all the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so he was awesome to me though. He, he took me around and introduced me to anyone and everyone that he knew. And uh, I didn't even realize while I was interning how spoiled I was because I just thought this is what an internship is in the in the music business. You get to go to all these meetings with different A and R people and producers and talk with songwriters. Yeah. And that's not at all what most interns get to do. So I'm I'm forever indebted to Joe Fisher. Thank you, Joe. That's so cool. So you started to intern and then eventually what what led you to working at ASCAP? Yeah, so ASCAP was actually my second job. Okay. And my first job the place I entered at was Universal Music Publishing. Okay. And I got a job as the catalog coordinator, which all I did was make copies of CDs and, and compilations of all the new songs that were coming in. I was only there for about three months when uh, a guy named Brian Wright, who's the head of A&R at Universal Records, which is MCA, Mercury, Capital, and EMI now, uh, he called me and said, hey, do you, what do you think about a new job? And I was a little apprehensive because yeah. I had just started only being like three months. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, I just started here. I don't want to be the guy that's bouncing around everywhere. And he said, okay, I understand that. But don't do anything unless you call me first. About a month later, he called and said, hey, I already talked to uh, your boss over there. You're, you're leaving. You're coming to work with me at Universal Records and A&R, okay. as was Joe Fisher, who is who I interned for. Oh, and, nice. And That's who, great. He was taking an A&R job at Universal Records. So although I don't even, I, I pretty much omit that I even worked at Universal Publishing because I was only there four months. Oh, okay. Uh, but I, my first you know, lengthy was, job was at Universal Records yeah. in the A&R department there. And I was there for four years. Okay. And uh, I got to know a, a group of uh, they became a group, but they were just getting started. There was a guy named Charles Kelly who was a solo male singer, and a, a, one of my dear friends, Hillary Scott, was trying to do a solo female thing. And they got together with Charles's friend Dave to form a band called Lady Annabelle. 
which obviously is, is a well-known band now. <laughs> yeah. but when, when we were all just hanging out, that was a, you know, a brand new thing. And right. they were all just very close friends of mine. And I, I was finding songs. They, they weren't even signed to the record label I was at, but okay. I had found a song for them uh, called Hello World. And they loved it and recorded it. And I was scared to death I was going to get fired because they were signed to a competing label. Okay. And yeah. it was like at that point in time that people in the industry would start asking, like, how did they find that song? And they would say, well, Ryan played it for us. And that's what really led to my next job. And I had an opportunity to either go to Sony ATV Publishing or to go to ASCAP. And ASCAP was sort of retooling at that point in time. And the guy running ASCAP was uh, is a guy named Tim Dubois, who is an iconic uh, record label president songwriter, producer, manager, he's really done it all. And I just felt like at that point in time, it was a, a really cool experience to go work and learn from him. And so I did, I went to ASCAP. I was, uh, so I was at Universal Records four yeah. years, went to ASCAP and I was there for four years. And the, the role as a writer relations rep at ASCAP is really just trying to network uh, for songwriters and help them find opportunities and make sure they're happy. And that really exploded my network because I, you don't really have an agenda as a writer relations rep at a performing rights organization. Right. Yeah, uh, you're just trying. You're, you're going to different festivals and you're going to songwriter nights and uh, just making sure the writers are are happy. And that led to uh, a guy named Ben Vaughn, and Ben Vaughn is the president and CEO of Warner Chapel Music Publishing, which is where we are today. And he hit me up and just asked if I was ever interested in publishing. And when he first asked, I, I actually didn't really think I'd ever get into publishing because I had turned down the offer to go to Sony and I right. thought, I don't know, pub like corporate publishing's for me. But it was a good time for me to make a change and I, I wanted to work uh, with a smaller group of writers that were going to be making a living at it and have commercial songs on the radio. And so I've been here five and a half years now and it's been an awesome journey. So what does like your day-to-day -day, for people that don't know like look like? I love that question because I've the, the thing that makes me really excited about what I do on a day-to-day -day basis is there's nothing the same about what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. I've been doing this 13 years and there's never been a similar day. And a lot of that is because of I do a lot of meetings with writers or producers, other publishers, A&R people, managers, and depending on who's recording at what point in time, that's why it just looks different every single day. And you know, most of the time, um, I'm in an office, but I'm also uh, working from my phone wherever I want, you know, can and want to be. And I, I think what's most important to me is, and I talk to a lot of college kids who are interested in the music business. Yeah. They'll get my name and number. The upside is I don't think in 13 years there's ever been a difference between a Monday and a Wednesday, a Tuesday and a Saturday, a Friday and a Sunday. I've never dreaded coming to work on a Monday, and I've never That's felt awesome. like I yeah. work for the weekends. And there's inherently stresses with any job, no matter how much you love it, you know, depending on the season. But I, I just love what I do. I love that I get to work with creative people and work with country music. Um, so what, do, what are you looking for when someone, like a songwriter is coming to you, like for a country song? Like what, like, is it magic? Is it a spark? Like what, what are all the components that go into that? 
Yeah, that's the odd part about being an A&R person in music is there's no, like, you don't go to school for it. No one yeah. says like, oh, this is how you learn the, the tricks of the trade. And if yeah. you've learned this, you've mastered it, then you're an A&R person. And I don't have a great answer for that, but I'll share this story. When I was in college and I would, you know, I would buy CDs and I would start listening through the CDs and I would, there would be a song or two on the CD that I'd be like, that is a jam right there. Like, why is that not on the radio? And then maybe six to 12 to 18 months later, all of a sudden, I would hear it on the radio. And I'd be like, holy shit, that's the song. Yeah. That's the one I said. That's the one I said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had no concept at that point in my life that there's radio singles and they get released at this amount of time. And But really what I was doing then was doing A&R. And yeah. I just had a gut reaction to something. Yeah. And when I was at ASCAP, I would tell writers who would come in and want to play their songs for me, because if you had feedback, some were better at hearing it than others, and those would get sort of pissy. They'd, well, what do you know? How do you, who, who said you had, should have know anything about music? Yeah. And they're not wrong. They're not wrong. And I would say to them, so here's the thing. These are just opinions. They're my opinions. They're not right, but they're not wrong. All I know is at some point in time, somebody decided to pay me for my opinion. And so <laughs> yeah. that's why you're getting it. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it's a lot of gut instinct and feel on whether I'm meeting with a writer for the first time and just whatever they're playing me, if I feel like I really connect with it, I, I think that goes a long way. When artists are looking for songs, it helps to know who they are as an artist, what they want to say, what their sound is like. And then you can go through a catalog of the writers that you represent to see what would fit in this way. And would they sing it? Is it the message something that they would say? Um, one thing that's great about country is it is more of a lyric-based genre. Yeah. And so it, it's easier to decipher songs knowing, well, so-and-so artists, they wouldn't say that. It, they would never sing about that topic. Right, yeah. yeah. So that helps from a filter system for sure. Yeah. And I think country music is uh, very visual too, visual storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, it's something, I mean, I kind of lean more towards, like, the indie pop or rock, like, world. So, mm -hmm. like, country, yeah. It's a whole new yeah. <laughs> lyrical endeavor. Yeah, <laughs> no, but it, but it's great. What's, like, one of the biggest challenges you face at your job or in working in music? I think this is something that's new. It's a welcome challenge. But this is new given the fact that we have this whole new access to music we've never had before. So like pause for a second and think about when we were in middle school and you wanted to buy music. You needed to first either either you had an allowance or you had to have a side job, you know, babysit or cut lawns or whatever it is to get your 20 bucks. Yeah. And then you needed your parents to be available and they had to actually drive you to a store which growing up in Sparta was at least all the way down Alpine. <laughs> yeah. There was nothing in Sparta yeah. where you were going to buy yeah. CDs. No. And you would spend... Media, media Play? Media Was Media Play? Yeah, what, no, was it what called was that Media called? Play? Uh, or something that was like... Anyways. It was like down there on the left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By Target, maybe. Uh, but the you'd buy you'd buy a CD for twenty dollars, and maybe maybe you liked three or four songs on it, and that was it. But that was it, one CD. And now, whether it be Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, Tidal, you have these streaming services 
where you can pay $10 a month and have listen to any song that you want to listen to. And we all have iPhones and smartphones and these walking stores everywhere you go. So from a consumption standpoint, it's never been a, a better time in our society to consume music. Like the access to it is just everywhere. Which is ironic that the challenge then is how do things break through and really stand out when there's a flood of material that gets loaded up in these digital streaming services or DSPs for yeah. short. Because we could sit here right now and write a song, you could put it up next week, couple weeks, through whatever distributor yeah. that you wanted to put it up through. And it's there's this weird relationship right now, at least in country music, where a lot of music is going up on the DSPs, but country radio only has so many slots that they can have on the country radio charts at any given time, and it doesn't move that fast. I mean, it's taking 30 to 40 weeks for a song to move up the charts at times, mm -hmm. when in the 90s, songs would enter the charts, get to the top of the charts, and be off the charts in as little as 12 to 15 weeks. So there's a jam in terrestrial radio, wow. but yeah. there is an over-saturation of new music hitting the DSPs, and how things break through is, is probably the biggest challenge. That's a huge, huge change from back in the day. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. What have been some of your favorite, I mean, projects like you've gotten to work with or artists, maybe like Lady Antebellum, like starting from them, like with the, like from the beginning to like where they are now? It's been fun with those guys because we, we worked, we didn't really work together early on in their career. I just was around as a yeah. friend and like found a song here or there. Cool. And then when I went to ASCAP, Charles and Dave came to ASCAP to let them represent their performance royalties. Then when I came to Warner Chapel, uh, Charles and Dave originally got signed by a guy named B.J. Hill, who's also from Michigan, uh, to yeah. Warner Chapel <laughs> early on, left, and when I came to Warner Chapel, Charles, Dave, and then Hillary all came back and signed with us at Warner Chapel. So it was, it was a full circle moment in that way, but we've been That's here cool. and we've worked on the last two records with them and helped to orchestrate who they should be collaborating with and we've done writer, uh, what we call writer retreats. They, they have places down in uh, an area called 30A in, in Florida, which is just outside of Destin and Panama City and we'll go down there and bring writers. And So it's been fun, the last two records with them. Personally, there's David Nail is somebody when I worked at Universal Records who, he's one of my favorite singers in, in town, really ever for that matter, but he loved to find just really well-written, credible music. And he had a few hits on country radio, but his records to me, top to bottom, were ones that I could listen to. Uh, just one song after the other with you know, true records. Like I would, if I had a vinyl, I'd put it on and you wouldn't have to touch it. I really enjoyed, Hillary Scott made a, a gospel record that was a lot of fun that, that she asked me to be a part of and trying to help find songs that, that ended up winning a Grammy, which was a really cool thing to be a part of that. Just because it was outside of country. It That's was something so kind of unique in that way. Yeah. So we were talking about this a little bit off the microphone, um, but we were talking about songs and how there are no new ideas. And um, like, what are your tips for songwriters? Like, 
when they're like trying to come up with a new idea or yeah so i picked up on this when i was at ascap and i would meet with songwriters who were it was just a hobby for them at at the time at least and their goal was to how do i take this from being a hobby to something that i can get become a job to get paid to do and what i learned over time is that it's easy to tell someone yes i like it or no i don't like it it's hard to tell them why and as a writer who's trying to get better and grow it's a bit puzzling to sit there and hear no i don't like that and then without any explanation as to why and so i was like i needed to develop some things that at least some tricks of the trade i guess that when someone doesn't understand why that maybe i can find a way to articulate that that will help them grow and one of the the things that was sort of a reoccurring thing in these meetings i had with writers is they would come in and they they just it, the song would not be unique enough from a lyrical standpoint and i remember one day i just like you know the reality is all the ideas are written they're all written and this would always people you know this is where they like glaze over like what how does that make sense what do you mean they're all yeah. written and what i would do is i would draw a big circle and and you could even do this if you wanted to like draw it out yourself but you draw a big circle and you say ideas inside of the circle and to me the ideas are and let's just take country music as an example you would be talking about love about heartbreak about partying about your hometown about girls guys uh God, family values, those to me are the ideas. Yeah. Like you could take any song on the country chart right now and you go, "Oh, that's about that idea." And what I'd do then is after I had the circle and I'd write out all the ideas inside of it, I would just start drawing lines. Like angles at the circle. And I'd say, "Watch this." And I'd start, I mean, I would do like 20 before I would even say this. I was like, "Do you see how many lines I'm drawing at it?" Yeah. Every new line is a different angle at the idea. And your job as a songwriter is to find the new angle at the idea. And we could sit here right now and draw this out and we could be here for 6 hours straight <laughs> yeah. drawing yeah. lines and you wouldn't have a completely full, you know, lines pointed at an angle on that circle. And so there's always going to be just micro Middlemaners of i of angles at the idea, and that's your job as a songwriter is to find that. For songwriters and artists out there that like want to get a publishing deal, what are your tips? Or every market's different. Yeah. And every market's going to have its own set of rules that they play by, nuances to it. I don't know enough about the New York and L.A model. I know pieces of it. Yeah. So I think it's probably best for me to speak about Nashville. Yeah. In particular. Sounds great. In, in country songs. Yeah. And in this market, I tell people all the time, as a general rule, you must be present to win. And I've seen people who have written outside of Nashville that have come here, but it is definitely a very rare thing. So when you come here, you can start going, last night you mentioned you went to a little songwriter workshop. That yeah. stuff happens all the time here. When you went there, you know, there's maybe five, six, seven people, how many ever. Maybe some of them aren't any good, but maybe there was one. 
yeah. that you really liked and that you exchanged numbers and you started networking with and writing with and you grew from that. They grew from that. And they have a circle of people and you get introduced into that circle. And when you're present in this town, you can organically start creating your own network. And that's sort of the baseline of it. And then from there, there are some organizations like NSAI. NSAI is an organization that you can go play. There are quote unquote writer relations people there. Play them your songs. And they have <clears throat> different programs where you have pitch to publishers and through that you, again, expand your network. Uh, ultimately, if you're really talented and you're around, you will be found. It's just, I've yet to see anyone who was just so talented that they, they stayed undiscovered in this town for yeah. 10 years and no yeah. one ever knew they existed. As long as you're getting out, going to songwriter shows, working on your craft, networking with places like NSAI or ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, you're going to meet people who also are on the same path as you and writing songs and trying to get to a place where a publisher listens to their song and then actually decides they want to sign them. That's so good. I ask this to all my guests. Why do you love music? I love that question. Music has always been, this sounds cliche, I hate that I'm, it's coming out like this, but it, when you look, it's easier to see when you look back on music really is a soundtrack to our lives. That's very cliche. However, when you start thinking about it as it pertains to your own life and the meaning that certain songs have had in moments of joy and laughter, pain, sadness. Those songs connected your feelings inside in a way that if someone were to try to articulate that, might not connect them. And that to me is the power of music. It connects in a way that uh, sticks with us deeper than conversation can at times. And, and it pairs the moments and the feelings that we've experienced in our lives with the soundtrack. Do you have any other tips for anyone wanting to work in the music industry or for songwriters? Yeah, twofold. I'll do the first if you want to work in the music business. And I just, I don't know why I'm wired this way, but I was, I was just always believed that if you wanted to do, you could do whatever you wanted to within reason. And so I always say to people like, look, you're not LeBron James. You're not going to go play in the NBA, yeah. you know. Most people are not going to do that. or Not everyone's going to be able to be Justin Timberlake. So I, I always try to take performing out of it in that way. Like, oh, you can do whatever you want if you set your mind to it. That's not true. You have to have, in some of the things in life, there's an inherent talent that some people have, and you have to have that in order to do that. Yeah. But a general rule yeah. <laughs> is if you really loved the NBA, and you're like, man, it'd be really cool to work for the Detroit Pistons someday. Somebody has to do that job. Why can't it be you? And that's what I sort of adopted about the music business. Is I, didn't, I didn't know what the jobs were, but I knew that somebody had to do them. Why right. couldn't it be me? Yeah. And yeah. I, was, I guess I was naive enough and, and courageous enough at the same time to just try to pursue that. So if, you're, if you really want to do that, you should do it. Now, it's going to come with sacrifice. And when I first started in the music business, I made $18,000 a year. I had to bartend to even pay my bills. And I remember thinking, like, I just paid how much to go to Hope College, and now I'm going to have to, like, bartend, and I turned down much higher-paying jobs to get into this. But I'm glad. I'm glad I had to do that, and I'm glad this industry has that in a way because it really weeds out those people who just think it would be cool 
yeah. versus those who truly want to be there. It's not easy. And there are a lot of times in those first four years, I remember, you know, having to bag up bottles of stale beer and taking it out at three in the morning after I'd work, you know, been at the label all day long. Is this really what I want to do? You know, yeah. times where I, I really just had the brink of feeling like, I just don't know, I just don't know. But I stuck with it and, and I'm glad I did. So it's not always easy, but it was worth it on, on the music side. From the writer's side of things, I think if you want to write, you should write. And you need to explore your, you know, whatever it is that you feel called to do, led to do, whatever, and, and just create. And with no guarantees either, I think it could be, it's tempting to think like, well, I only, I only want to write if I can get paid to do this, but there should be a joy from it that, that extends whether you can make money at it or not. Definitely, and yeah. That the first step is just knowing that whether you get paid to do it one day or not shouldn't doesn't make you a writer or not a writer, and and just be in tune with your passions and what you love. And uh, I think any time you're you're being able to be creative, it adds to the depth of your life. Good. Well, Brian, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. This is awesome. I'm this glad is... we've got to catch up in, over the last couple of days and hang yeah. and be here in Nashville. And, it's and, been great. It's it, been awesome. So thanks, Fedora. Thanks again to Ryan for being on the show and to the bang-ups for the theme music. This has been the I Love Music Podcast with Jen Fedor.